today we're starting a brand new series called Wiser. And I don't know if you know this, but uh, people tell us, philosophers and social scientists tell us that we are currently living in what's called the information age. Look at someone and say, we're in the information age. And that is because any information we need is available to us literally at the push of a button. Like we can get any access to almost all the information in the world, anything we need, we can access it almost straight away. And the amount of information that's out in the world at the moment is overwhelming. Now, I'm told I was doing some research on this this week and I couldn't believe what I read. I was told that from the beginning of mankind up till 2020, uh, 2003, which for me doesn't feel like so long ago, but I realized that it is 20 years ago. But from the beginning of humanity till 2003, mankind had generated the equivalent of five exabytes of data, five exabytes of content. Now, for those of you who don't know what an exabyte is, like I didn't, an exabyte is a billion gigabytes. Okay, so from the beginning of time till 2003, we had generated five billion gigabytes of content. But guess how much? Since then, we've started to generate. Mankind now produces five exabytes, five billion gigabytes of content every two days. From the beginning of time to 2003, it took us that long to produce five exabytes. Now we do it every two days. You could literally say that we are currently drowning in information. We're drowning in knowledge. That's actually why we need tools now like AI to help us interact with data in a relational way, to help us try to figure things out because we just don't even know. It's got to the place where we're almost heading into the disinformation age because we don't even know what's true anymore. So much information around us. But one thing we've seen to be true is that when we look at society and the world and humanity, even though there's more knowledge, there has not been more wisdom. In fact, wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. And we've seen in our time that you can have a lot more knowledge and at the same time have a lot less wisdom. Wisdom is really knowing how to apply your knowledge. What to do with all that content, what to do with all that data, all those inputs. And one of the signs of the end times that I don't think it's spoken about enough is that people will have access to knowledge, but they won't know how to process it. Even though they have access to knowledge, they won't find wisdom. This is what it tells us about the end times in 2 Timothy 3. It tells us this in verse 1, but mark this, it says, there will be terrible times in the last days. Everyone say, Amen. Amen. There will be terrible times. Uh, if you're in one, don't be surprised. It's a promise of the Bible. Okay? They're coming. And then it goes to list a whole lot of things that are going to happen that make these last days terrible. And in verse 7 it says, They'll be always learning, but never be able to come to a knowledge of the truth. One of the signs of the end time is there will be this constant learning, this constant pursuit of more knowledge and more information, always learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. In other words, we never attain wisdom. In the middle of all this information, we never become wiser. It is a mark of the end times, and I think we can see this playing out in society today. 
And so what we're going to be doing for this entire series is we're going to be looking at can we get wiser? Because wisdom is actually something that we desperately need. We need the world to be wiser. Even though there's so much knowledge, we know that knowledge is not wisdom. Living is different to learning. For example, you could uh, have a lot of money. But if you don't know what to do with it, what's the point? If you do have a lot of money and you need some ideas, come see me. But, <laughs> but do you know that if you win the lottery, a third of all lottery winners have declared bankruptcy? In other words, you are far more likely to go bankrupt if you win the lottery than if you don't. How crazy is that? If you achieve some measure of success or fame, but you don't have wisdom, that very famous success will destroy you. It will ruin your life. For those of you who want to live a long life, lots of people want to live a long life, but if you don't have wisdom in that long life, then what's the point? Who would want to live an unwise long life? Wisdom is important, but it also seems to be missing. And so we want to start a series today. We're going to kick into a series for a few weeks, up to the week that Zach gets here. And we want to just say, what does Scripture show us to help us live wiser? Because something that I hope you've already found out about Scripture, it, it is profoundly practical. Like, yes, it's deep, and yes, it's philosophy and theology, but more than anything, Scripture is profoundly practical. And there's some great practical wisdom that I think we can put into our lives. And this stuff is precious. It's important. In fact, the Bible says it's far more important than all these other earthly treasures. Listen to this in the book of Psalm, uh, Proverbs, chapter 8, verse 11. For wisdom is more precious than rubies. And nothing you desire, I don't know what you desire today, well, what you're sitting here longing for, but nothing you desire can compare with her. Nothing, nothing is more valuable in your life than wisdom, which means for the next few weeks, this 75 minutes of church could be the most valuable minutes of your entire week. More valuable than pursuing riches and money and rands and cents and silver and gold and stocks and bonds and bonuses that you do every other day. This could be the most important time of your week. What we gain through wisdom is far more important than earthly treasures. And so to do this, we're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs in Scripture. We're going to be studying that together. It's a book written by the wisest man who ever lived. And you might be thinking, well, why? How did he become so wise? Well, King Solomon, we're told in 1, Corinthians, 1 Kings 3, God gave him basically a blank check and said, hey, you can ask for anything and I'll grant it to you. You know what Solomon asked for? Wisdom. And God granted that request. He gave him wisdom. Solomon was the wisest man apart from Jesus to ever walk on the face of the earth. And in his wisdom, he wrote several books. In his wisdom, he wrote the books of Proverbs and Song of Songs and Ecclesiastes. And we see him covering a lot of topics in this book which deals about wisdom. In fact, the word wisdom or wise is repeated 125 times just in the book of Proverbs. So this is really just a guideline to wisdom. And he covers so many topics. He talks about 
the tongue and our words, how we should treat the poor, things that should be common sense. He talked about money and finances and business and work ethic and moral purity and how to act in society. And so many of these things are mentioned in the book of Proverbs. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of these topics. He talks about people in this book that some of you might be familiar with. For example, one of the groups he talks about is the fools. Anyone know a fool? Maybe you know a few. So maybe, maybe you're like, yeah, I know 25 of them, right? Like, it talks about the, a friend in this book. Hopefully you have some of those as well. It talks about a scoffer and a mocker and a wise man and a wise woman and a sluggard or a lazy person. Anyone have one of those in their office? Don't put up your hands. It might be here, right? <laughs> and so he writes one of these books. In fact, it ends up being one of the five poetic books in Scripture. We know in Scripture that the five poetic books are Job and Psalms and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon and Proverbs. It is the third of the poetic books. And we, we actually get a glimpse in 1 Kings 4 that he wrote many more Proverbs than we have access to. It tells us in 1 Kings 4 that he wrote over 3,000 Proverbs. We have like the best of them in this book. It also tells us that he wrote like 1,005 songs. And I can't wait. Hopefully in heaven we get like a, a music concert with King Solomon. We can hear some of these uh, songs. But if you're looking for this book in your Bible, you're going to find it just over halfway and it comes after the book of Psalms. And I think that's quite fitting. Psalms was written by his father, David. Now his son, Solomon, is writing Proverbs. But that's not the only reason I think it's fitting. It really, those two books go so well together because Proverbs in many ways builds off of what happens in the book of Psalms. In the book of Psalms, it teaches us how to get close and intimate to God. The book of Proverbs then, teaches us how to have good fellowship with people, right? Because your relationship is never just about you and God. It's also about people. It's why our vision for this year, which I think is very fitting, is that we're going to love our neighbors, right? In the book of Psalms, we see how do we, we get onto our knees in, in pursuit of this God, but in Proverbs, we get on our feet and we walk through life. In, in Psalms, we, we, we find this private relationship just with me and the good shepherd. But in Proverbs, we find this public relationship, this living out of your faith in your family and in your business and in the workplace and in the shopping centers. And how many of you know that takes a lot of wisdom? <laughs> to live that out takes a lot of wisdom. Monica would agree with me this morning. <laughs> and so... We're going to start where King Solomon starts, right in the beginning of this book. If you have your Bibles or if you're following right now on the app, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 1 from verse 1. It says, the proverb of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. What's this for? <laughs> for gaining wisdom and instruction. For understanding words of insight. For receiving instruction in prudent behavior. For doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to those who are simple. And if you don't like being called simple, another word some of the translations use is naive. For giving knowledge and direction to the young. Paul, I mean, uh, Solomon puts it right there in the beginning, exactly what this book 
is for and about. It really is a pursuit of just making us live wiser. Taking all this knowledge and putting it in a way that we can live it out, live wise lives. Now, I love the fact, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but there's 31 books or chapters in the book of Proverbs. And why is that significance? Well, how many days does the longest month have in our calendar? Also 31 days. So a lot of people have actually done this as a religious practice, is that they read a proverb, a chapter of Proverbs that corresponds with the day of the month. And they just do that consistently all the time. If there's not a practice that you have instituted in your life, I want to encourage you to start that. You know, tomorrow is going to be the 8th of May. So maybe that's a good day. Tomorrow, read Proverbs chapter 8. And then on the 9th, read Proverbs chapter 9. I've actually made it a habit in my life this year to read a proverb every single day, to read a chapter of Proverbs. It's one of the things that inspired me to do this series because there's so much good things in here. And there's so much good content. And so I want to encourage you to, to don't replace what you're currently doing. Don't replace your current Bible reading or devotions or plans, but add this. Add a chapter of Proverbs, even if you do it at a different time. Maybe this is something you do just before you go to sleep instead of with your quiet time in the morning. But it's a great thing. There's 31. It kind of works out. And every single month, you can just be reminding yourself of all the wisdom that's in Scripture because we need it. Now, you might not know what the word proverb means. I just want to touch on that for a second in case it's unfamiliar to you. But a proverb is really, it's a way to say a few words instead of many words. That's what it means. So it's a saying or an adage that explains a difficult concept. It's a saying or an adage that can break down a hard truth. And every culture has it. I mean, the oh, South African culture, we have some incredible, incredible, some great proverbs. But there's some that mostly we would all know. In fact, I didn't know my mom was going to do this, but she actually used a proverb, did you hear, in her tithe message today. Uh, these are so well known, most of us could finish these sentences. If I said, teamwork makes a dream work, that's a, a proverb. Give yourself a hand. Well done. You got it. Come on. Don't throw the baby out with the... Yeah, some of you know that one. Um, don't make a mountain out of a molehill. Okay, so we, we understand in our culture, there's all these different types of proverbs that we already use. And it's meant to be a short saying that explains a difficult experience or something that would take a lot longer to kind of sit down and break. We can sum it up in a short, clever little saying that should make your mind tick. And it, it makes a circumstance make sense. And so here we see a, a book in the Bible full of these, but what makes the book of Proverbs so different is that it's not just good advice. Because this book is inspired by the Holy Spirit, which makes it God advice. Out of all the Proverbs that we use, these are the very best. These are godly. These are written by the inventor of life itself, the only one who truly knows how to do life and to do it well. And so let's look at what wisdom really is, now that we know what a proverb is. In fact, when, when Solomon is writing about wisdom, he uses a specific word in the Hebrew language, and it's this word, kokmao. Everyone say kokmao. We've tried to put the pronunciation on the screen for you. But here's what it means. It means to be very, partly to be very skilled at something, 
Think of a skilled tradesman or a bricklayer or an electrician. Someone who's very skilled, but more than skilled, is actually an expert in the field that they're skilled in. So what does wisdom mean? It means, get this, being a skilled expert at living. Wisdom, biblical wisdom, means you're a skilled expert at what godly living is. You're a skilled expert at godly living. You know how to live well. You're an expert in it. And actually, that's what Solomon is trying to get us to be. He's trying to increase our skill in living, in life. And so let's start and ask the question, well, how do I start? Maybe you can look at your life and say, well, I haven't really been living wisely. Like I haven't really, I haven't like, I've been doing foolish things and I want wisdom. I want to live a wise life. How do I even start? Where does wisdom begin? Well, actually the book before I spoke about, which is the book of Psalms, that's a book that kind of lays the foundation for where wisdom actually even begins. And you probably won't be surprised to hear that wisdom always begins with God. In fact, those two things are hand in hand. If you reject God, you reject wisdom. Solomon's father David would say it like this in the book of Psalms, chapter 14 from verse 1, where he says, the fool says, everyone say fool. The Bible is comfortable, by the way, calling some people a fool. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And guys, look what happens. If that is your frame of reference, there is no God. Look at what's going to happen. It's just going to live to lead. It leads literally to unwise living. He says, they are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. Just that very foundational belief, there is no God, will lead me to foolish living. We know that wisdom starts by saying, yes, God. Foolishness begins by saying, no, God. Wisdom begins by saying, God, I accept you, and I want to put you at the center of my life. Foolishness is a rejection of God. No, God, I don't want you at the center of my life, and I reject you. Wisdom is found in God. Foolishness is found in the absence of God. And this is going to be true for everyone at all times. But what I like about the book of Proverbs is that Solomon really builds on that foundation that his father set in Psalms. Where Solomon takes it deeper to say it's not just accepting God, but it's your view of God that really matters. How you see this God, how you treat this God, your attitude towards him, that's what really actually matters. And Solomon says it like this. Right in the beginning of Proverbs chapter 1, he says in verse 7, The fear of the Lord, everyone say fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Again, this comparison between the wise and the foolish. Now we know to get to wisdom, you first have to have knowledge, because wisdom is how you're applying this knowledge, but Solomon is saying, even to find the knowledge of God, the only way to get there, the beginning of this, to find knowledge of God is going to be the fear of the Lord. Having fear of the Lord, that's going to be the foundation for finding knowledge of God. And do you know that the fear of the Lord, this concept, 
is something that is taught again and again and again in Scripture. It's mentioned 15 times just in the book of Proverbs. It's mentioned 50 times right throughout the Bible, fear of the Lord. And the reality is, guys, that if you have fear of the Lord, it, it means you have no fear of man. But the opposite of that is also going to be true for you. If you do not have fear of the Lord, you will have fear of man. You will fear what man says. You will fear their opinion. You will fear their judgment. You'll fear their criticism. You you will fear how much they value you or how they treat you. All of us are going to land up in one of those categories. And Solomon would tell us that if you truly want wisdom, if you want wisdom, the path for this is going to start by fearing the Lord. And then he tells us in Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 that the fear of the Lord is also the beginning of wisdom. This truly is the road that you and I need to walk. This word beginning that he uses in Proverbs 1 and here in Proverbs 9, it means the most crucial part, the most important part, the thing on which everything hinges. In other words, the most important thing for you to get godly wisdom and godly knowledge is going to be the fear of the Lord. And so what is the fear of the Lord? Because we better understand that. If if fearing the Lord is the key for us to get godly knowledge and then have godly wisdom in our lives, what is it? How do we fear the Lord? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you're scared of God. It doesn't mean a terror kind of fear that you're like, oh God, I hope he doesn't come here today. I hope he doesn't visit us. And when he comes in the room, we're like, ah! Right? That is not, we're not a terror kind of fear of the Lord. That is not at all what it means. What it does mean, though, is reverence and awe and respect. When we gaze upon the majesty of our God and we gaze upon his holiness and we start to just get a sense of his sovereignty and authority and his goodness and his power and his size his magnitude, that he's king of kings, that he's the Lord of lords, that he's the God of creation. When we start to get a a true perspective, a true picture of who God is, what it should do in our hearts, church, it should give me an accurate picture of who I am in this relationship. And what should have is as I have a better, as my awe of God increases, I willingly submit to him. I willingly say, God, not my will, but yours, you truly know better. You, you know better. God, 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 I put aside my agenda because yours is better. God, I put aside my will because yours is better. I have such a reverence for the majesty and the glory and the holiness of God. I'm so in awe of him that I'm willing to lovingly, willingly submit my entire life and say, God, it's not about me. Look at who you are. This, this is all about you. It's not about me. It's, it's all about you. It's, a, it's about your name. It's, a, it's about your fame. It's about your glory. It's about making your life known. God, it's not about me. But this increasing our perspective of who God is so that I willingly submit my life to him. It's the same word used in Leviticus where it tells children to have reverence and respect for their parents. But if we can do this to a human being, imagine the kind of reverence we have for the God of creation. This isn't about coming and being scared of God. This is about coming and being in awe of him. And guys, can I just say, I think in, and I don't know what to call it, but modern day Christianity, 
I think it's missing. I think so many of us, so many people, we don't have a concept even of fearing the Lord. I think sometimes we have become very familiar with God. We've got very buddy-buddy with God. And you know what it's led to? Unwise knowledge, uh, unwise living, and even a lack of knowledge of who God is. Because the beginning of godly knowledge and the beginning of godly wisdom is fear of the Lord, reverence of who He is, respecting Him. And until that begins in your heart, until you revere Him, you will never find wisdom. And in fact, everything else we talk about in this series will be pointless to you. All the wisdom we can try apply in this series, we're going to try to speak about family and work ethic and sexuality and our words and our thinking. Like all that stuff will mean nothing, right? Because we're not even on the right road. It begins here by saying, God, you're bigger than me. You know better than me. God, you're greater than me. My life is yours. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. I daily submit my life. I pick up my cross. I follow Jesus Christ because I'm so in awe of who God is. If we're not even willing to get on that road, we will never find wisdom. There is no wisdom apart from the fear of the Lord. And so here's a question I want to ask you. Like, how much do you fear the Lord? And this isn't about picturing God as some meanie sitting in heaven on a throne, right? Like with a frown on his face. Just, oh, I'm so disappointed in you. Stop having fun. Like, that's not it. It's not it. Just some grumpy old man looking. It's exactly the opposite of that. It's a loving father who we acknowledge has so much power and holiness and glory. Who we acknowledge has so much authority and beauty and majesty. Who we acknowledge we are not even worthy to be in his presence. And yet he calls us in. And yet he calls us his children. And yet he gifts us with eternal home and eternal heaven. He gives this to us not because we deserve it. Having this reverence of who he is. How much reverence do you have with God, are you in awe with the fact that now you can come boldly into the Holy of Holies? You can wake up in the morning and be in the presence of God. Has that become familiar to you? Or does that still crescent of awe in you? Because if you and I can fear the Lord, we will find godly knowledge. We will find so much godly wisdom. And two things will happen in our lives. There's, something, there's two things the fear of the Lord produces in us. And the first is this. It keeps you away from evil. It will keep you away from evil. You know, um, the fear of the Lord almost becomes like a guardrail, like a guardian in our lives. Uh, those of you who are parents and your children have devices, I, I love technology. I encourage technology with my kids. I want them to be tech savvy. But something I do on every device they have is I've got parental controls. Right, I, I can control most things on their phone. I'm aware of what's happening on their devices. I encourage your parents, please don't give them devices without those kind of checks and balances. But it moderates what they can see, what they can do, who they can interact with, what kind of strangers they can make friendships with online. The fear of the Lord is a little bit like a parental control. 
Because when you are aware, when you have a fear of the Lord, it becomes a guardrail where you're like, no, I can't do that because I fear the Lord. And I can't engage in that because I fear the Lord. And I can't watch in that because I fear the Lord. And I can't live like that. And I can't just accept this bad habit of my life. And I can't, I can't, why? Because I have a fear of the Lord. It becomes a guardrail. It's like a parental control. Proverbs 16 verse 6 says, Though we fear the Lord, or through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. How cool is that? What keeps a person, a Christian, from doing the wrong things? Fear of the Lord. That's what keeps our lives in check. Because we sow in awe of God, we submit to what He wants. Proverbs 8 verse 13. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech, right? Why do I hate those things? Because I'm submitted to the will of the Father. I, I fear the Lord. It produces in me holy living. We have a great Old Testament example about this. I ministered in this a few weeks ago in the life of, of uh, Joseph. Right, a highly favored son has great plans and dreams for his life. His brother is intensely jealous of him. They sell him into slavery. He ends up in his master part of his house alone with, his, with the wife. The husband's away at work. The wife is like, hey, baby, let's go to the room. No one has to know. How does Joseph respond to her? He says this in Genesis chapter 39, verse 9. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He wasn't concerned about sinning against Potiphar. He was more fearful of God. He knew God was watching him. It wasn't about being caught by Potiphar. He could have had a great time and indulged in his flesh and just done what he wanted. But no, he knew God was watching. The fear of the Lord became a guardrail, a parental control in his life. It will be the fear of the Lord that stops you from having that affair. It will be the fear of the Lord that stops you from engaging in that one night stand, from hiring that prostitute, from getting that abortion. It will be the fear of the Lord that stops you from that fraudulent transaction. It will be the fear of the Lord that will help you stop swearing. It will be the fear of the Lord becomes a guardrail in your life. Because we know God is watching us and we are in awe of Him and we willingly submit our lives to Him. The second thing the fear of the Lord will do in your life is it will increase the quality of your life. When you... I, I love this. When Jesus comes and teaches us, he says he comes to give us life and life what? More abundantly. Wow, what a great promise, by the way. And for those of you who think that Jesus came to give us boring and boring more abundantly, that isn't what he said. In fact, I believe the fear of the Lord turns your life up. It turns the dials of your life up. It amps your life up. It amps up the joy in your life and the peace in your life and the, the presence of God in your life. It amps everything up. It makes your life more abundant. That's what it tells us in the book of Proverbs. Listen to this, Proverbs 14, 26. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress for your home. It protects you. For their children, it will be a refuge. This will bless not just your life, but your kid's life. Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person away from the snares of death. 
Where we often find ourselves, we often find ourselves in the snares of death. We're living unholy, ungodly lives because we do not fear the Lord. But if you want a life that's turned up and amped up, living a life in the next level, next level kind of faith, fear the Lord. Have reverence for Him. Be more concerned about His opinion and His will than your own or, the, or others. A great example of this is seen in the Old Testament again with Abraham. Again, something we ministered on a few weeks ago. Right, I mean, God tells him to go and sacrifice his son. The next morning, he just gets up and gets the wood together, goes on a three-day trip, no arguing with God. Goes up on the mountain, puts a son on the altar, lifts a knife. As he's about to drive the knife, God stops him, and the angel says this in Genesis 22, verse 12. Do not lay a hand on that boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. It was a fear of the Lord that enabled Abraham to have crazy faith. Faith so much that the New Testament tells us he knew that even if he had plunged that knife into his son, he knew God would bring him back from the dead. If you want crazy faith in your life, if you want to do incredible things for God, fear the Lord. It increases the quality of your life. And so I just want to ask today as I, as I close this message, do you fear the Lord? Do you fear him? Have you become too familiar with the King of Kings? Have you come become too flippant and casual with the God of creation? Because the only way for us to find true godly knowledge and wisdom is in the fear of the Lord, understanding His holiness, His size, His place, and His glory, and understanding it's far greater than yours. His opinion, His view of life is far better than yours. His will is far more correct and perfect than yours. Understanding who he is, it will guide your life. The fear of the Lord will guide your life. And church, let me just say as I close, when you, when you look at Solomon's life, I think he himself becomes a warning for us. When we don't follow this wisdom, because Solomon himself, the guy who writes this book of Proverbs, he, he starts out strong, but even he ends up bad and far from God. He doesn't follow his own advice has a thousand women, some wives, some concubines. I mean, gee, those who are married, we know one wife is enough. How do you have a thousand? Right? How do you get a thousand? Mad. No wonder he went insane. Has a thousand wives. His heart completely is lost to God. He worships their gods, follows other idols. He himself didn't put these words into practice. And I think it serves as a warning for us that never think you know it all and that you've arrived. We need to live our entire lives. We should never come to a place where we feel, oh, I can get off this road. I feared the Lord long enough. Maybe you can look back to a time where you were in awe of God and your life was in line with Him and you knew that God, He, he was sovereign and He was mighty and powerful and you, your, your life was lining up. It was getting in line and, and you kind of look and say, you know, at some point I got off this road just like Solomon, and my life has turned out a mess. Well, it always will, church, because it is foolish living to say no to God. And there is wisdom in fearing the Lord. Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you for your beautiful church, Lord. Father, I pray that as we come with our own view of you, God, would you, in the coming days and weeks, as we do this series and get into your word, God, would you 
Would you increase our reverence? Father God, I pray that you would start to correct our perspective of you. Where we've come to flippantly and casually, Lord, where we have forgotten about the fear. God, I pray for every person who's living in a lifestyle and they almost have the attitude like, you're just going to understand, Lord, and you're going to be okay with it, and it doesn't really matter, and, and obedience isn't a big deal. And God, I just pray that where we have abused your grace, where we have forgotten who you are and who we are, would you increase our reverence, Lord? God, just give us a glimpse of your majesty, of your size, of your scale, of your power. God, give us a glimpse of your authority. I pray that we would just just start to get a reference of who you are, God, so that our lives could just willingly fall into submission. God, we, we want wisdom. We want your knowledge. I pray, God, that we would live reverent lives, just in awe and respect of who you are. And God, where we have not done that, I pray, Holy Spirit, come and just lovingly convict us. Show us the places, God, where we have forgotten to fear you. And I pray that as we do, God, that our lives would be the wiser for it, that there would be fruit. And God, I just want to pray for every person who needs to get back on that road. Thank you, God, for that invitation today to do that. Bring them back home. Bring them back into your fold, I pray. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.